If you were captured as a prisoner of war or held hostage by bank robbers or abducted by criminals hoping to extract a ransom for you, the best news in these situations would not be that you might have an opportunity to attempt an escape. The best news would in fact be that an unstoppable unit of invincible commandos has arrived to rescue you. Not that you have the chance to do something for yourself, but someone we know can accomplish the good has come to do it for you. Faced with seemingly insurmountable situations, it's not ideal to hear that we might be able to do something if we are strong enough, but rather that there is someone strong enough to overcome for us. And the book of Jude explained the plight of a church infected by false teachers who tried to pull believers away from the truth. It details why God will bring judgment upon the very teachers who have perverted God's grace to justify their sensual desires and who have rejected Christ as the one who is the Lord over our lives because he has redeemed us. So as we consider this whole book and, and we come to think about the final verses, looking back at the, the whole letter, there is a tension built into Jude's main points throughout. Now, for good reason, this letter has focused on the danger that the false teachers posed to this church. If the leaders are corrupt and devoid of the Spirit, then this church needed a reminder that unbelievers can manage to participate in the covenant community. Mere participation in the community, though, does not guarantee that they truly partake of the, the substance of the covenant, namely Christ and his benefits by faith. On, so that's one side, and on the other side of the tension... Jude balanced that warning with sustaining encouragement. Often, the knee-jerk reaction in situations like the one in Jude is for Christians to become, not all the time, but oftentimes, for Christians to become pharisaical. Right? If the problem is that people forgot their relationship with God and are, are drifting what should be done, we we crack down on the rules to ensure that they do the right things rather than addressing the heart. Knowing that that can be our impulse, Jude built the true solution into this letter, even though the epistle is, is largely about the problem. And so Jude wisely began, and in hindsight we can see how well-crafted this letter is. Jude wisely began by stating Christian identity. He wrote, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. That's who we are. 
Christians are people called by God, sovereignly pulled out of our love for sin and brought to faith in Jesus. Christians are people loved by the Father and people kept for Christ. And even though this letter highlights how there are massive issues of unbelief in this church, Jude began that Christians are those who are in the loving hands of the sovereign God who preserves them, keeps them, until Christ's return. That that identity of belonging to God because of His sovereign love grounds Jude's central exhortation, the admonition to contend for the faith once delivered once for all delivered to the saints. We, we do not contend for the faith out of fear for the future, but out of trust that we are kept by the strength of our majestic and merciful God who has redeemed us in Christ. And then, having, having begun with that statement of Christian identity in verses 5 to 16, Jude explained the need so he, get, he told us who we are. He told us what we need to do. We're called. We're loved. We're kept. We need to contend for the faith. And the need to contend for the faith was namely the problem of false teachers who were foreordained for condemnation. Then, having stated the need uh, in, for contending for the faith in verses 17 to 23, Jude told us how to contend For the faith, namely, by being a remembering people mindful of what God has revealed through the apostles and by keeping ourselves in the love of God, by using the resources of faith, prayer, and waiting for Christ's mercies. With these means, remembering and those other resources as well to contend for the faith within ourselves, well in hand, we are also able to contend for it in others by extending that mercy even to those who have wronged us. And so then, after presenting the need and the how to contend for the faith, Jude ended in verses 24 and 25 with the motivation to contend for the faith. Now, many New Testament letters contain these little sections called doxologies, bursts of praise about God's glory. But Jude's doxology contains the needed climactic material to bring this letter full circle and end it on a fitting note. And that's that's what we're going to think about today. So the main point is that God's majestic grace is motivation and fuel to persevere through difficulty. God's majestic grace is motivation and fuel to persevere through difficulty. And our three points this morning will be our need for God's glory, our need for God's goodness, and our need for God's grace. And what I hope we will see today 
is that when we are faced with our most daunting difficulties, we need reminders about God's glory and grace as our source of hope more than we need practical advice about what we might do to fix ourselves. And so let's turn to our first point, our our need for God's glory. I think, uh, I mean, right, we, we've used these two verses as benedictions in our services, even before we were reflecting on Jude. In, in some cases, they're all known statements of God's glory. And I think we might easily think that Jude's closing doxology here was sort of a, a tacked-on statement there at the end, just to conclude with a, a, a nicety of sorts. Jude didn't explicitly tell us his purpose here in verses 24 and 25. So we might think it is a disconnected but pleasant thought about God. But I think, I think this doxology is the fitting conclusion to Jude's argument as this letter culminates in the proper finale that redirects our attention to the glory of our redeeming God who keeps his people for Christ. So this doxology serves a purposeful function to end this letter well. And although Jude began with God's role as the one who sovereignly calls his people, loves and keeps them, and multiplies mercy, peace, and love to them, that quickly faded into the background as he focused on the massive problems caused by the false teachers and on the dangers of being in the church but not having true faith. And this this closing doxology reorients our attention from the potentially overwhelming problems to the solution. Which very simply is the God who is able. It is more significant than we might realize that Jude would put our attention back to God's glory here. Even though we know better, even though we know better, God's people often lock on to our problems when we are confronted with difficulty. Our focus solidifies not on the person who can help, but on the problem itself. And regardless of whether we face the same problem as Jude's leaders, I certainly, personally hope we don't face the problem of teachers in this church. God's people still constantly need reminding of something more deserving of our attention than our difficulties. We are sometimes unaware of how quickly we slide into the pit of despair and let ourselves linger there. We need something that is startling enough to grab hold of us and raise our eyes above the mire of our difficulties to something that will captivate us and fill us with hope again. 
and Jude knew that nothing, nothing forces our gaze from hardship to hope better than God's majestic glory. Right? If you cross London and you go to Westminster Abbey, hardly any of us spend much time looking at St. Margaret's Chapel, which is right there in the courtyard next to it. A lot of us are probably, what are you talking about? Right? Our attention is wrapped by the splendor of the more majestic cathedral. If we stand atop a mountain with a perfect view of a stunning sunset, we should not be distracted by the rotting tree stump back at ground level. And so, Jude concluded with the most extensive doxology in all of Scripture. His point was that, yes, there are problems, but there is something far greater than your problems. We may not have the same problem as those who first letter. And yet, Christian, you just have to ask, what, what is your hardship? What troubles you? What afflicts you? What burdens your heart these days, this hour? And regardless of what that answer may be, the God of glory is more worthy of your focus, more worthy of your attention and more satisfying to your heart than thinking about what afflicts you. Instead, God in His majestic grace is precisely why you need not feel overwhelmed by your struggles. He is the one who has called you. He is the one who has loved you. And He is the one who keeps you no matter what may come your way. Our need for God's glory is that we too easily lose track of our hope and focus on our hardship but a vision of God is able to push aside our troubles. That brings us to our second point, our need for God's goodness. And we can see then that Jude's doxology functions in this letter to grab our attention from the troubles around us and redirect us to the one who provides hope, shifting our gaze from hardship to hope. It is further, this doxology is further grounded precisely in the need that Jude's first readers had. This, this doxology's first part describes God's character, the, the recipient 
of this praise and glory here. If we remember that the biggest portion of Jude's letter is a warning that unbelievers are within the church showing our need uh, to make sure that we have faith, the, the description of God in verses 24 and 25 leaps to new significance in light of that. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to pre- and who is able also to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior. Believers are those who are called and kept for Jesus. And God, God is the one who keeps us. We are not kept by some mystical force, but by the one who is able. Our perseverance is not a matter of our commitment, but God's immeasurable strength. He is the one who is able to keep us. And although Jude highlighted that when Jesus saved a people out of Egypt, He destroyed those who did not believe. It it is a reason, despite that, it is not a reason for everyone in the church to spend themselves into endless doubt. Why? Because God is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. The false teachers who were devoid of the Spirit plunged into godlessness and used the church to indulge their sinful desires. But God keeps His people for Christ. As Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, right? And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. At the day of Jesus Christ. God keeps his own from plummeting headlong into sin without hope of pulling them back. But, but Jude's point, and I think this is important for us to note, Jude's point is, is not that God keeps you from enough sin so that we are safe at the last judgment because of our good works, because We haven't messed up so badly. That would be, in terms of our opening anecdote, right? That would be as if Jude said that the good news is that God grants captured victims the opportunity to escape by their own strength. God's work to to keep us from stumbling into irrecoverable sin isn't to establish our salvation. In fact, it's because of it. And we see that. Rather, Jude said that God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and and to present, to set us forward. Blameless. Before His glory. In other words, God does not simply equip us to grow in godliness but declares us righteous in His sight before 
his throne of justice, God has said we are blameless. Notice how Jude did not say that we become blameless. It's not a transformation point. It's not a change of life point as if we are truly without wrong, but that we are presented blameless. Before the presence of God's majestic glory, as we stand in his sight, he sets us forward as righteous because of what Christ has done. And I think this is particularly striking if we pay good attention. Notice also that Jude was also very clear that our standing before God is not something that comes to us begrudgingly. We do not have to slink before God's throne with an embarrassed smile because of what God has done for us. No, not at all. Jude wrote that God presents us blameless before him with great joy. As you stand righteous before God by faith, you need not be burdened by whatever characterized you before you were a Christian. And there is such rich freedom in that. God has truly wiped away whatever sin might have characterized you, wiped it away in Christ, and clothed you in perfect splendor so that you are fully accepted in the sight of God. When you stand before the Lord as a believer forgiven in Jesus, you will be full of joy. There will be great joy. Especially in our most difficult times, like when Jude's first readers uh, would be certainly overwhelmed as the problems of the false teachers were brought to their attention, we need to know that God is not a stingy God, but is rich and his, in his mercy and provision. God's glory helps us in our hardship, whatever it may be here and now, because he is abundant in his goodness. He he does not give it to us sparingly, sparsely, or begrudgingly. His blessings do not have to be pried from his hands, but he pours them upon his people so that we are full of joy. We need God's goodness because our need for his blessings is so deep, truly. And yet, he is happy to grant them. That brings us to our third and final point, our need for God's grace. 
So we saw that we need God's glory because a vision of his majesty is the the motivation that pushes us through hard times. We also saw that we need God's goodness because our difficulties are often large and only an abundance of divine blessing will overcome our troubles. And now we need to see how we need God's grace. Jude detailed here in these closing verses how God is the one who is able. God is the strong rescuer. Not not who equips his people to save themselves by some escape attempt, but the one who comes to their aid and brings them through their trials. We not rely on our strength because God is the one who sanctifies and justifies His people, keeps us from stumbling, and presents us blameless. And to make the point plainly clear, God explains again who the God is whom we glorify. He is our Savior, the only God. This God who is able is the only true God, and it is the God who is our Savior. And now that we know our relationship to this God, we are the ones who are weak. Our need is clear. And He is the one who is able Now that we know that, that we relate to this richly good God by grace as our Savior, our response, our response is, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times and now and forever. Amen. There's a... a, rich list of of praises that, that Jude ascribes to the eternal God. Glory, majesty, dominion, authority. God is the one whose radiance and power surpasses all things, and Jude knew it. God's Radiance and power, however, are true of him eternally, before all time, before time began, and right now, and always. These things are true, regardless of our relationship with him. God has glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Those are objective realities. That belong to God. But here's the thing about it. God's radiance and power are good news only if we are able to ascribe them to Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the mediator of our worship. We worship God through Christ because in Christ we are reconciled 
to the one true God. The simple fact is that God's glory and his might would not be good. In fact, they would be terrible news if we are at odds with the true God, if we are his enemies. And Jude was well aware of that because he had described throughout his letter how God's glory and might will come to bear upon those false teachers who were destined for destruction. God will glorify his strength by overthrowing those who oppose him, who pervert his grace and reject Christ as Lord. But for those in Christ who come to God and ascribe glory to him through our Lord Jesus Christ, God's character is our ultimate hope. He is just and faithful, and so he is committed to receiving those who belong to Jesus and to making them full of joy in the blessings of Christ. Our need for God's grace is that our sin makes us liable to judgment and separates us from God so that we cannot praise his attributes in hope but salvation in Jesus by faith turns God turns God's glory into the best news that we can hear for those who are called loved and kept by God we need not fear the difficulties we face. No matter how daunting they may be. That was the case for for Jude's readers. God is the one who is able to keep them. And God is the glorious and powerful God who provided for their greatest needs. They needed not be overwhelmed because God is the one who is able, regardless of how able they were, and the one who has majestic dominion and authority. He used his might to shower grace on his people and overcome their sin and struggles. And the same is true for you, Christian. That whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, whatever burden you face, God is the glorious God of dominion and authority. We praise Him through Jesus Christ to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. We are in the hands of this mighty and majestic God who for you uses his strength as the one who is able to keep you. And so, 
Christian, do take heart. When you are not strong, God is the one who is able. When you cannot see the road ahead, God is the one who has glory and might from and to all eternity. And you belong to this God who through Jesus Christ has made you his. Lift lift your eyes at all times from the troubles that plague you so that you might catch a vision of God in his majestic grace. For he is our enduring hope. And enjoying his glory is the end for which we were made. Let's pray. Father God, the world has never been without its difficulties and struggles for your people, at least since the fall. And we know that today is no different and that your people face great burdens. And so we ask that in these moments, you would indeed bless us with a renewed vision of who you are. The God who is able. The only God, our Savior. And whatever hardship we might have, our hope is in you. And you are able. Help us to rest secure. To be comforted in the fact that the only God is our God. And because of Jesus Christ, we can depend, we can trust that, expect that you will be good to us. Write that deep on our hearts. Help us to fix our eyes on who you are, whatever may come our way. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.